Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer today, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. There you go. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Lewis, put that on there for there you go for you. Good reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go to send us an email. I'll be glad to get an answer back to you. You know, I had a gentleman earlier this week, kind of a personal friend and uh-huh. business associates, and he wanted some information about buying a new car, and okay. he called Elizabeth, and since we were personal friends, I think he gave her Elaine's cell phone number. Right. But I didn't get back to him for about a day and a half because we just weren't checking the cell phone, weren't expecting any calls, and we don't turn that on every day like so i know some people do but we don't <laughs> I, and i thought i said man if you just go on the website i check that constantly you check it more than the phone call oh yeah three or four times a day right and i don't carry a cell phone and like i said elaine's got one but she was kind of feeling under the weather a little bit last right. week so didn't turn it on but yeah the, the way to reach me is send me an email on that website that's going to get checked i mean at very very least twice a day right within 24 hours yeah generally sure. in the morning and in the evening i'll check it and very very rare case where i might miss one but it's within 24 hours every single time right and sometimes a lot more often just depending that's but that's the way to reach me and even when i travel i always travel with a laptop so. it's don't check it quite as many times during the day but it still gets checked at it least does once. get checked so <laughs> <laughs> and of course they are not that we won't be back again next year but <laughs> <laughs> you got a question something been bugging you something you want to say just give us a call that's 6901 get you right to us I thought today we might talk just a little bit about some of the calls that we got in the previous year. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is the most popular calls or the recurring calls okay. that we get over and over and over and over again. And one of the, I guess, one of the most popular calls that we get and also a very popular email that we get, and that is a check engine light comes on and... The car still runs just the same. Right. And so a lot of people get confused. Well, why is the light on if my car is not running bad? And about 75% of the things that will turn a check engine light on may not affect the way the car runs. In other words, you may have no noticeable symptoms. Exactly. Many times what it's trying to warn you is that there's a situation here which is going to be a problem. So from that respect, the check engine light is like an early warning system. It's, sure. it's trying to protect the vehicle. It's trying to save you money is what it's doing. But you have to understand how it works. That light on any modern car does not just come on. No. It's not like, well, it just came on when I was a mistake. No, it doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> and, and what's worse than that, it comes on and goes off. It does, and I've always felt that was kind of a bad strategy, but it's checking probably 2,000-plus things oh at least and it can't run every single test on every single drive cycle and so what it does is that it may clear the active memory move it to history it's still there it's just in history and it may turn the light off if it doesn't run a particular test on a couple drive cycles Mm -hmm. it does not mean the car is fixed it does not mean oh it's a get out of jail free card i'm just gonna forget about it it's gonna come back it's still in there right 
it can also still be diagnosed. It's not like the old cars way back in the 80s where if the light wasn't on, you couldn't diagnose it. When they first came out. Right. Modern cars have their active memory, which is when your light is on. They have a history that it keeps. In right. fact, the real late model ones even have a time and date stamp on them, many of them, where you can tell when this occurred, how many key cycles since it occurred, and that kind of stuff. You've got you've also got freeze frame, which is the data that it stores when the problem happened. That's right. Which, which is accessible for the tech to, to fix the vehicle. Well, that is very, very, very handy to keep you from making misdiagnosis because what happens, let's say a particular code comes up. You look at the freeze frame data and you see that the car was in park and it was at low RPM and the code does not relate to those type of items. Well, you know, okay, something screwy is going on here. This should not even be setting this code under these conditions. Correct. So that will send you in a different direction than just a straight code. For instance, if you've got an oxygen sensor code and the engine temperature is below the threshold, so you know it wasn't an open, wasn't in closed loop yet. Right. It wasn't reading the oxygen sensor. It wasn't even looking at oxygen sensor at this point. So therefore, that is more likely going to be a wiring problem, or maybe even a PCM fault. Correct. Rather than a bad sensor. So that's the way all this kind of stuff works. But the way a car operates, like I said, every time you turn the key on and turn it off, that's called a drive cycle. Correct. And that is considered almost a new world. Every time, you, every time you cycle the key. Yeah, it's, it's a new world to the computer. Now, it's got memory that it can hold, but it has to start testing again every time you do that. So there are certain conditions under which certain tests run. Right. For instance, a particular test may only run when it sees the engine at a cold start. Now, what it determines as a cold start is when the engine coolant temperature matches the, the ambient. ambient temperature sensor. Correct. Or the air temperature sensor. In other words, it knows the engine is the same temperature as the environment, so therefore this is a cold start. Correct. Now, it may have to see a cold start to initiate this test. So beyond that, it may have to run all the way to full warm-up before the test is going to operate. So before it's going to even begin to run a test, it has to see a cold start. It sees that. You start your car. You drive it for about five minutes. It does not reach full temperature. Then you turn it off. Well, that's the end of the drive cycle. Right, and that is the end of the test. End of that test, it's aborted on that cycle because it never got hot enough. It met the cold start, but it did not meet the full temperature right. rise. So, therefore, if you start the car again, it's going to look and say, okay, this is not a cold start. Correct. It's going to continue to abort this test. Until it sees a cold start again. A cold start going all the way to a full warm-up. Right. And that's why people will a lot of times have some work done on the car or replace the battery, and the readiness tests are cleared. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions is, how long is it going to take? Well, it depends. Well, what depends do you on- mean it depends? Well, it depends on the way you drive the car. Exactly. Because if you drive four or five miles per time every day, all day long, it may not ever run this test. Exactly. It's never going to see a cold start going to full temperature. It may not ever execute, say, the catalytic converter test. Now, other tests, like evaporative emissions, they have to see a certain amount of fuel in the tank. Uh, between a certain range of fuel That's in the correct. tank. That's correct. It has to be more than a quarter of a tank, but it cannot be more than three-quarters of a tank. Right. So if you always keep it full or always keep it empty, it's not going to run that test ever. Right. When you drive the car, when you turn it off, it's going to look at that fuel level, and it's going to say, okay, there is more than a quarter. It's less than three-quarter. 
It's going to run the EVAP test, and a lot of these cars run this test after you turn them off. That's right. Because it doesn't want the car sloshing around, making pressure in the tank. That's going to disturb the readings. Right. It wants to make its own pressure and take its reading. That's how it's calculated. The software is calculated in it. Right. So some do do run EVAP when it's running. Some don't. But, again, if you have a full tank of fuel and you keep it at a full tank of fuel, it may not ever run that test. It could go months and not run sure. that test. Because sure. until it sees it get down to three-quarters of a tank, that test is not going to execute. And there are just countless numbers of little criteria like that that are For necessary. Every system. Now, under normal conditions, average driver, normal conditions, probably within three or four days, you're going to hit most of the criteria, if not all of them, and right. all the tests are going to run. Generally, it takes three or four days for all these tests to re-execute, rebuild the IM files, and show everything completed. Mm-hmm. But again, depending on how you drive the car. Now, the thing is, when these IM tests are not complete, it's not going to turn the check engine light on, even if it's a code, because it's incomplete. Until it completes these tests, it may not run all these things. For uh-huh. instance, the misfire counters generally will not run until all IM tests have completed. Right. So I, I guess if you had a dead miss, it might. But if you got a little stumble or misfire and the IM tests are incomplete for it's whatever n- reason, it's not going to set the light on. It may not set a light. So there's a number of conditions under which it may not set a light at all. So that does not mean the car is fixed. It does not mean the problem is not still occurring. It just means the light's not on right now. But if the light comes on, you need to take steps to find out what it Why? is. Why is this light on? And, again, most cars are so complex now, you can't just assume, well, it's probably this. No, you can't because you get a code. It says, let's just say it says PO300. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a misfire code. You've got to know where to start looking for a general misfire code. Mm-hmm. You can't just go to, well, let's just throw a set of plugs in it. Right. Or let's throw a coil on it or something like you got to know, hey, a PO300 is a general misfire across the engine. Right. What if? What affects the whole engine, right? Now, not just one cylinder. And again, you have to determine, is this really a misfire code or is it being determined as a misfire code? Exactly. Because I've seen a badly, badly out-around back tire on a rear-wheel drive car set a Shake. misfire code <laughs> because what was happening is the wheel was literally leaving the ground, mm-hmm. bouncing Bouncing. up and down, and when it did, the transmission was speeding up, slowing down, which the engine was speeding up. The crankshaft rotation was speeding up, speeding down. Because it was loading and unloading the engine. Right. The crank sensor saw that. It flagged a misfire code. Yep. Well, this guy spent an inordinate amount of money trying to fix a misfire, changed darn near everything on the engine, still had it, ended up bad tire on the back of the car, which might be blew out and killed. <laughs> I guess when it blew out and killed him, he hit it on. But right, uh, right. You got to determine, is this guy, what is the car trying to tell you? Because it's a pretty sophisticated system. It is. But again, it's only looking at certain criteria and then making an assumption based on that the best it can. Right. Hey, we got to take our first quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. That's the best. I get your kicks on Got to run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? 
Polly, you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie, I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure, appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you got a question or a comment, you just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. That's us. Get you right to us. Got our minds fresh and wide open. <laughs> All our lines open. Just sitting here waiting for a call. Talking a little bit about some of the calls we got last year, or most popular calls we got last year. Of course, we'll take a call on any topic you might have. That we will. One of the things, too, just before we leave for the check engine light, is that, like I said, many times what a check engine light is doing is indicating a problem that exists that may turn into something bigger. For instance, fuel trim would be one of those things. Right. Where let's say you've got a vacuum leak and the engine starts leaning out. Well, Which, it's going to add additional fuel to cover this up because it doesn't want the driver to have symptoms. So it adds additional fuel and the engine speeds up and then the throttle system brings it back down. So everything runs normal. But you can go in and look at the fuel trim as plus 20%. That means there's an issue here that is something. Yeah, once going it gets on. to 20 to 25%, depending on the car. The light's going to come on. Then at some point, it's going to start running bad. It can right. no longer deal with this. Another example of that would be like burn time on the coils where the spark plugs are worn out. But unlike the old days where when the spark plugs wore, I started running bad, it increases the duty cycle to the coil. Which it just means gives it, it fires, more power. Right. It fires the coil for a longer period of time right. to cover that up. To hide the worn out spark plug. But the thing is, those calls have a design duty cycle. They have to cool down. After Correct. they heat up to fire, they've got to cool back down. And when you're talking about firing 3,000 times a minute, right. which it's not a long cool time already, and if you start pushing Extending that out, out 20%, 30%, you can start burning calls up. Sure. Now, what it's trying to tell you is that, hey, we're, we're doing too much work here. We're going to burn up. Now, you can just say, well, it's running good. I'm going to keep on driving. it. I'm not going to change the spark plugs. Fine. Except that now what you're going to do is the light's going to pop on. Now you have to pay to diagnose it. You're going to have to buy one or more ignition calls. Plus a set of spark plugs. And you still got to change plugs. So right. you had to save anything. All you did is put it off. Put it to the back burner. Well, let's say you've got an eight-cylinder engine, and those calls are $150 a piece. That I mean, adds up fast. Due to math, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's very expensive. Something that need not have ever occurred because on many cars, the ignition calls will last the life of the car. Sure. I know on a Chevy pickup truck, 5.3, I don't know that we've I, ever changed an ignition I can't call. remember ever changing yeah. it. Now, Ford has had a lot of trouble with that on they their 5.4s and 4.6s. That new modular motor. Yeah, they tend to burn a lot of calls up on those. I think it's a poor design, but who knows? Yeah. Most of them is at higher mileage when the plugs weren't changed right. adequately. Nissan had some problem burning up ignition calls. But the point is, if you will pay attention to that check engine light, it can save a lot of breakdowns and more expensive problems. Another big thing is like on transmissions. If the transmission starts to slip just a little bit, let's say the filter becomes restricted right. because it needs to be changed. That won't set a light. However, it can cut the pressure down, cause an internal slip. Now, what's going to happen is that when it sees a slip, it's going to bump the pressure regulator to give it more pressure to mm -hmm. keep it from slipping. When it gets to a certain point, it's going to throw the light on. Right. It's warning you. Hey, there is say, a hey, potential yeah. for disaster here. Right. Well, if you start ignoring that and you burn the transmission up, you just added $2,500 to $4,000 
to your fluid and filter tank. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you could change the fluid and filter when right. you, when you change the rebuild trans. the transmission. But just saying, a check engine light is not your enemy. It's your friend. It's right. an early warning system. You paid a good bit of money to get it on there. It's it's in the price of the car. Sure. And it's a very, very, very handy feature to have. And the thing about it, if you're riding around with it on, you don't know of any other problems that you're having because you only have that one light as an indicator. Well, that's an excellent point. Let's say you check it and it's something that you consider to be minor, so you say, okay, I'm just going to drive around with it on. Well, now, if something more major happens, there's still only one light. You won't know it. It's just like your fire alarm at home. If it malfunctions and it starts going off, you say, well, I'm just going to ignore it. Your house catches on fire. You don't know. Exactly. Because there's only one warning, and you know, if you're ignoring it. Right. That can lead to an unpleasant circumstance. Let's see who we got on line one here. There we Hello. go. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, guys, I got a question. 2011 Lexus ES350. Okay. In the morning times, it only happens in the mornings when my wife is, is gets in the car and she backs out of the carport into mm -hmm. the driveway. The rear brakes. I know it's the rear brakes. Uh-huh. They do a moan. Okay. You know? mm -hmm. And and then and then, then that's it. You know, she can go the rest of the day and they're fine. Mm -hmm. um, but just first thing in the morning. Do you know if it's got drum brakes on the rear or disc brakes? No, it's disc brakes. On disc the brakes rear. on the rear, okay. It's, it's got the internal, you know, uh, drum. Yeah, that's the parking right. brake, though. Brake Unless you're applying the parking brake, that wouldn't do it. I, th I think right. you're exactly right. Most of the time, a noise on backing is going to be a rear brake. The very first thing I would be looking for, make sure that it's got the original Lexus pads on the back. A lot of the aftermarket brake pads, what they will do is when they sit overnight, they will absorb a certain amount of moisture into that pad, and it'll make a groan on the first stop yeah. or two. It also yeah. heats up real rapidly, and it balls that out, so then it quits doing it. Uh, it's really not necessarily detrimental to the car, but it is aggravating, it, it particularly if it goes away. But almost every time, someone at some point in time has put some aftermarket material on there, and it's just not exactly right for the car. You know, yeah. what Lexus does is they engineer a pad specific to that one vehicle. It's, it's right. a unique pad for that car. What the aftermarket does is makes a general material, and they just chop it out, and they put it on different pads. If it's a Chevy pickup or a Lexus or whatever, it gets the same yeah. material. And it works okay on some. It doesn't work so well on others. But that's well, by I, far the most common thing. Okay. Well, I've already done the fronts. I did the fronts mm -hmm. just because it was 8,000 miles, and, and they were the original pads. Mm -hmm. I had to change the rotors. And I went to Lexus and bought the pads. Right. And I was extremely surprised oh, yeah. how cheap They're not that high. Lexus pads are. I you was, know, I was... I was blown away. Yeah. So I went ahead and I bought, I bought all four pads. Yeah. And I haven't done the rears yet. I would do that. And yeah. get a yeah. good, a good high quality caliper lube, and you'll lube the back sides of those pads. There's gonna be a stainless steel shim behind that pad, uh -huh. and you put the grease on the back of the or two. You'll have to put the grease on the back of the pad, on the shims between the shims, and then on the back of the on the caliper itself, to where it acts like a bearing surface that allows to move, okay. and that absorbs a lot of that noise and stuff. Okay. But I would almost guarantee you that's gonna fix it. Now, one last thing you might just want to look at. Make sure the face of the rotors are not worn because what can happen sometimes, the pad will wear into the face of the rotor and it leaves like a little ridge on the very outside edge, and those pads can catch on that, and that'll make a noise like that as well. And when that's the case, I generally just replace the rotors. Those rotors are yeah, relatively inexpensive, man. They, probably 30, well, yeah. 35 bucks a piece you yeah. can buy those rotors. And I, yeah, I replaced the rotors on the front, mm -hmm. but I didn't, go, I didn't go cheap. I bought a set of expensive Bosch rotors. Yeah. I mean, they were expensive, right? But I, 
like I'm not doing this twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you live in the north where there's a lot of rust and, you know, salts on the roads, the more expensive rotors make a lot of uh, sense because they have more nickel in them. They won't rust and all like the cheaper rotors do. Uh-huh. If you live in the south, in the Baton Rouge area, you can pretty much get by with almost any kind of rotor because, okay. you know, they're not okay. going to rust. There's not there's no road salts or anything, and and that's the biggest difference between the cheaper rotors and the more expensive rotors. And okay. the, the the rotors okay. that we've been getting sometimes have even been painted. Yeah, yeah, they'll have a the painted hub, surface on them. The hub is painted. Mm-hmm. Okay. All righty. All right. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate your show and your time. You've well, thank you. Wealth of knowledge for years. So well, good deal. So thank well, you. Well, thanks, Colin. Man. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas. Bye bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And you know that. Him bringing the the brake situation up mm-hmm. that is another common email we get very much so and a lot of times it's you know my brakes are making a noise or i got a pull or something something Pedal that is low right whatever it might be and many many times not always but many times the answer to that question is that it does not have original equipment pads on it yep we you see know, that all the time. The aftermarket pads just, in my experience, do not work. They fit. They fit. That's and they it. will stop the car. Right. But most of the time, when you see stuff like continually warping rotors right, or noises you just can't cure or other characteristics like the, the pedal effort is much higher now than it was before, you got to mash the brakes harder to stop. Mm-hmm. Almost every time, that's a mismatch in brake material because they do not have the proper material that was engineered for the car. Right. I remember we had a gentleman who had a fairly late model Corvette, and he went to Chevrolet and priced the pads. And those are expensive they pads. Are. They're about $200 a, a pair. Mm-hmm. An axle. An axle. And that is a expensive pad. So he said, look, I just can't spend that kind of money on a pair of brakes. So he goes and he buys, I don't know, some kind of triple whiz bang mm-hmm. pad somewhere or another you literally could not stop the car i right. mean the, the material pedal was, was high and hard but the material was so hard yeah you would hit the pedal and it just it didn't speed up but it almost felt like right. that you know, it just didn't really slow down and eventually it would stop the car but you had to really come down on the pedal hard yep and he brought it in and said i can't understand it it was, it was fine before I said, well, the first thing I do is take these pads off, put a set of. He's not. It can't. It can't be that. Said, I think my brake booster's going out. Uh-huh. Well, you know, there's all kinds of things it could be. If it were mine, I'd put a set of OEM pads on it first off. Right. So reluctantly, he agreed, and we went ahead to Chevrolet, got the pads, took what he had on, put the OEM pads on. Car fixed. Yep. I mean, it's. He said, I can't believe it. Yep. I said, well, GM formulates a pad. For that vehicle. For that vehicle with a specific coefficient of friction made for that car, made for that braking system. Everything is designed to work together. And it just, if you change one piece of it, right. it may just not operate properly. And the guy was amazed that one little thing had made that, that fixed, much difference. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. 
Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I, I mean vehicle. Uh, improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got Ronald's been patiently holding. Good morning, Ronald. Yes, good morning. Uh, look, I have a 2002 Chevrolet Tahoe, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the transmission stopped shipping in the third gear. It was shipped first, yes, second, real fine, but mm -hmm. it, it won't go in the third. Yes, sir. Most of the time, Ronald, when you have lost a gear completely, was it just goes neutral? It, it just goes one, two, and then goes neutral? Yes, sir. Yeah. Most time when you have something like that, that's going to be an internal failure inside the transmission. I mean, a lot of external things that affect shifting and all, but if you totally lose a gear, probably the direct clutch has gone out in it or the forward sprag has gone out in it. And see, third gear is direct one-to-one, -one, and that's when it goes to direct drive. Overdrive is actually overdriven, but most likely you're going to have a broken part in there. And you know, the only fix is going to be to take it out and take it apart. I mean, there's really nothing as far as a sensor or – anything like that that would lose a gear completely and only one gear something is probably broken inside of the unit okay you answer my question i just want to make sure before i try to uh, get some other kind of repair to it yes yeah, sir you know what i would want to do on something like that ronald is i would want to take it to somebody and the first thing they would do is run a pressure test on the vehicle and a pressure test is a really relatively simple that's what hook two gauges up tells them what's being applied and not applied inside the transmission I mean, there is a relatively almost, I guess, almost impossible amount of probability. It could be like a valve stuck in the valve body, but, man, that almost never happens. Generally, when you lose a complete gear, you know, something is broken. Probably forward sprags come apart or something. And normally when you drop the pan, you can see right. metal, metal pieces laying in the pan. It's pretty That's, much a dead yeah. giveaway right there. And, I mean, the big point is just find somebody that you trust that's going to treat you straight and, and do a good job of, of rebuilding or replacing it. Well, I sure appreciate that. All right, sir. Thank, thank you a lot, sir. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. All right. 291-6901 is the number, and we've got Mr. Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Hey, Lewis. How y'all doing? Doing Good great, morning. sir. Hey, Lewis, I was in your shop with my friend George about a uh, little last week with that little yellow Aveo. You remember that one? Yeah. I remember mm -hmm. it coming in. I don't, I don't believe you were there. Yeah, I may not have been there. We, yeah, I had talked to you on the phone about it. Remember it was all carboned up on the inside and it would barely run hardly had any compression oh, okay yeah 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 mm -hmm. yeah and it had some recall work to be done on right it. right it changed the spark plug right the boot and um i don't know if you remember or not remember it had that dead miss on the third cylinder mm -hmm. was that caused by that coil pack could be bad coil pack? could call back or call boot if i remember right there was a recall for the call boots and the spark plugs and that would certainly be the place to start. Now, when we checked it, it had real low compression on several of the cylinders. But again, I think it was because it was so carboned up and all from running bad. If you get that on it, go drive it, 
you all the rest of it may clear up. If it does not, then we're going to need to get it back in and look deeper. Oh, okay. Because this we got it back from the dealer after mm-hmm. they did that warrant, that recall work mm-hmm. on it, and it's still got that dead miss in that third. Okay. Cylinder. Well, yeah. Don't drive it then, because what's going to happen if he keeps driving? It'll end up taking out the catalytic converter because of the dead miss. Uh-huh. But you know, it, it has. How much has he driven it since he got it back? Oh, not much. Just from the dealership to his house. Yeah. I mean, there's a small chance if you drive it, it could clear up because if the valves are carboned up in it from the misfires and all that, it is a small chance it could it could clear up. The only other thing I can think of, and I don't normally recommend this kind of stuff, but if you get some upper cylinder cleaner, any parts store would handle that. Pour a can of that in there and just see if it helps. If it doesn't help, most likely the next step is going to be pulling the heads on it because I, I believe there was also a bulletin on carboning up valves in that one, which involved a pretty big deal. So it's one of those things where he's got to kind of decide how far he wants to go with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay, well. Yeah, I was just wondering if that call pack was causing that dirt missing that third cylinder if y'all had found that no what i found was just that it, it was missing on the cylinder had low compression on it but we didn't go any further once we saw that you know there was a recall on it which could potentially be the problem but if they did that work and that did not clear that up most likely he's got other Something problems else. see the pro if i'm not mistaken that's an integral call pack on that one i think all four calls are made together that's correct. You have to change the whole call pack. On a, when you have individual calls, you can swap the call with a different cylinder, you see, yeah. and, and isolate that. But on that one, you can't do it. I mean, it is a potential that it could cause that. But, again, it's a fairly expensive guess, you know, just to yeah. guess yeah. at it. The next step we could do, we could put a scope on it and see if that call is firing. But, again, we're going to eat up a fair amount of diagnostic time on something like that. I would probably first check the compression on it. If that compression is still low in that cylinder, then very unlikely the call is going to fix it. It's more likely going to be related to those valves sticking in it. Oh, okay. Okay, well, he just got a repair ahead of it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Expensive one, too. Probably. Yeah, possibly, <laughs> yes, sir. Just just let us know, man. I'll be glad to look at it again and see what uh, we can find on it. Okay, Lewis, thanks. All right, thanks. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know that is one of those deals on, on that particular vehicle I'm talking about. He had a misfire. In fact, I don't think it would hardly run at all right. when it came in. And there was a recall for plugs and call boots, which could potentially fix that problem. Sure, sure. But the valves were stuck in it. The compression was really low on all the cylinders. And there's also a bulletin on that, but that one says pull the heads and blah, 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 blah. So, mm-hmm. In a case like that, about all you can do is get done what is going to not cost you anything, which is a recall. That's sure. free. And sure. see what happens. But many times, if it has had a misfire, the valves have carboned up in it. And like I said, apparently that is an, a common problem on that particular vehicle. Yeah, I don't remember what size engine that was, but it's a little four-cylinder. Yeah, that's uh, a little Veo. Yeah. I want to say it's a little Korean built two engine two one liter maybe one point, point something yeah. yeah i'm not real sure we don't see an awful lot of them. it's not that no. many of them on the road but yeah it had a lot a lot a lot of engine problems yeah. apparently because there were several bulletins on different things that were common to the problem let's go back to the phone lines with kim good morning kim hi how are you You're doing good. great good good hey i heard your call earlier about a gentleman who has a third gear shift issue mm-hmm. i'm having i think a second gear shift issue what kind of and vehicle kim it is a Buick Lucerne 2008 okay. XL. What does it do yeah. when it when it goes to second gear? Yeah, so like when I sit at the, a stop sign, mm-hmm. and it's very intermittent, 
okay? Mm-hmm. When I sit at a stop sign or if I'm accelerating onto the interstate, mm-hmm. I'm in first gear. Right. And then when I go to continue to uh, accelerate, the um, the engine will rev and won't hit second gear for a while. And I'll pull my foot off the accelerator mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. give it a second to kind of catch up. And then most of the time I can make it go. Well, Again, Kim, that could be an internal problem, but there are also several things on the outside that could cause that. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the first thing I would want to do is kind of like I mentioned to him, I would do a pressure test with a scan tool on the car and see if you can pick it up. Now, if it's really intermittent, it may not be something you can pick up on in the shop, which is going to make it more difficult to diagnose unless maybe the check engine light has caught it and it may have something in memory. Even though it doesn't turn a light on, it may have something in the transmission control module. So I would start out, okay. I would I would scan the module, see if there are any codes, and if there are, I'd act on those codes. If not, I'd do a pressure test and a test drive. There are cases where there are even updates to the software on the car for that kind of thing. So, oh, really? yes, yeah. ma'am, you can go through the bulletins. We have, you know, we buy that information from GM. And if there's a soft date, uh, excuse me, a software update for a second gear, uh, poor shift quality, I would do that because that's a relatively inexpensive thing you can do, and sometimes that will fix that. Also, sometimes it's just not getting a signal from something. If I'm not mistaken, those have some little switches in the valve body. One of those could have malfunctioned. All of those can be repaired without replacing the whole transmission. So it's not quite the same as what he had where it won't go in third gear ever. It just goes to neutral instantly. That That's a lost gear. This is more of an intermittent thing where it will eventually go ahead and shift. So the gear is still there. It's not physically broken. It's just something's interrupting the shift. So okay. that's just going to take a little bit of detective work to find. How often does it occur? Well, it, it seems like uh, last couple of days, and I'm wondering if it has anything to do with weather, you know. Could. Um, but uh, last I brought it in last summer, and they, they, nobody could figure out what mm-hmm. it was. It wasn't, it wasn't doing it. Wasn't doing it, it yeah. Mm-hmm. Do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So um, I just kind of put up with it. But yesterday, I was kind of doing it more often yeah. as I was trying to explain. You know, I would probably bring that in and first off, scan scan the TCM, which is the transmission control module, uh, and see if there are any codes relating to it. That's, that's the beginning point. Okay. If nothing shows up or if something shows up that relates to a pressure problem, I do a pressure test. And between mm-hmm. those two, you could probably put your finger on it. Now, if there are no codes stored, it's not doing it then it's going to be the devil to try to find. You can have to wait till it gets a little more consistent. But, mm-hmm. you know, the only other thing you could do is you could try, if the transmission has not been serviced recently where you've changed the fluid and stuff in it, you could do a transmission service on it and just see mm-hmm. that needs to be done regardless. It's just maintenance. Yeah. Could help, but not necessarily would fix that particular problem. It just depends on what it is because a lot of the external sensors can cause something like that intermittently. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Hopefully yeah. it's not a whole transmission. Yeah, well, if it does go ahead and shift and shift fine when it's not doing it, I kind of yeah. doubt you got something broken in transmission because that's not going to heal up suddenly and start working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's not a matter of it's not a matter of it having a problem mm-hmm. when, it, when I first start driving it. Right. Um, it, you know, it'll, it'll happen. More know, after it's warmed up. For an hour. So, yeah, and yeah. you know what you want to do with that, Kim, is when it occurs – do not sit there and try to race it up and make it do it. You know, just let yeah. off, let it make it shift, and then go on. Because when it's slipping like that, whether it's because it's confused or whatever, and you sit there and race that motor up, and, and now you're doing damage to the car. So right. just let off. Yeah, let off, let it do its thing. And, I mean, 
it may go on like that for years and years and never really cause a problem. Just make mm-hmm. a mental note of the conditions that right. it, it under occurs it under. Occurs. And that way, mm-hmm. when you get ready to get it serviced, you can tell the tech, hey, it does this on after driving after an hour. hour right. And, and blah, blah, blah. And that makes it a lot easier to, you know, diagnose, to diagnose the problem. A lot quicker yeah. to find. That's the, that's the quirky thing. I'll drive out of the driveway, get to the first stop sign, and it's fine one day. Mm-hmm. Drive out of the driveway first, you know, mm-hmm. and then get to the stop sign the next day. And it's, it'll rev to get to seven second gear. I'll let my, let my foot off the, yeah. uh, the accelerator well, and it'll catch up. But then yeah. it also does it when I'm trying to get on the interstate, which is not a good thing. Right. right. I would sit there and like I said, the first thing is I scan all the codes yep. in the transmission module, see if anything's mm-hmm. stored. Secondly, run a pressure test. Third, mm-hmm. check for any kind of tech updates that might have a flash update to the car. And okay. if it doesn't, if none of those are available and it's not doing it, you pretty much got to wait to get a little more consistent. But I'd say there's a pretty good chance, Between way, way better things, than 50-50 yeah. chance one of those three things is going to catch something. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's good to know. Well, it's starting to get consistent now. So yeah. I better get well, that's right. Well, good. well, nothing's going to get better. It's not like a sore thumb. It's not going to heal. Something's wrong, and it's going to get yeah. worse and cause more mm-hmm. problems later. Okay, very good. Let me ask you one other quick okay. question. Does it Buick Lucerne, is it typical for that car to have electrical issues, just kind of quirky, uh, uh, intermittent. I gotta say, problems. most of the newer GM products have yeah. a lot of electrical problems, in yeah. my experience. Really? Yeah, okay. stuff like lights not coming mm-hmm. on, or radio start playing loud, or just yeah. silly little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes we find like bad ground cables on the battery, or bad this or bad that. Sometimes it's just inherent in the cars. They just they do have more electrical problems than a lot of other cars had. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about door locks. Yep. <laughs> uh, one, one will lock. All three of them will lock. One will stay open. Mm-hmm. You know. And That's so most likely one of the actuators. They've had a huge amount of problems with the actuators going bad in them. And they don't just fail, go bad. Right. They may go bad where they work sometimes, don't work other times. Right. Okay. So are those expensive generally? Uh, moderately big. so. Yeah. yeah. Probably between the part a, and the labor. Hundred plus for the part and a hundred plus for the labor. So yeah. three, four hundred dollars mm-hmm. per door. You know. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I might just put up with it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. Well, that sounds great. I appreciate all your insight and uh, help. I'll, I'll probably be over there to come see you. Soon. Well, good. Just give us a call. I'll be glad to try to help you out. Thanks so much. Thank- I love listening to y'all. I Thank you. All, all the men in my family think I'm crazy for listening to y'all on the weekend, <laughs> but I love it. Now you there know you more go. than they do right. now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, love, I like it. Thanks so okay, much. Okay, Kim. Thanks for calling. Merry Christmas to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Got to run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early, and they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul, 
Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie, I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Of course, this is our last show of this year. That it is. We will be back next week with the first show of next, next year. year. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess technically, let's see, next yes. next Saturday will still be this year, won't it? Yes, it will. Uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I misspoke. <laughs> The first didn't until Monday. That's right. Boy, I tell you, that holiday falling, for some reason, it, it just seems like it ought to be Saturday. I know. Uh, but being Monday. It messes everything up. It, it sure confuses the devil out of me, which <laughs> is not always that difficult. <laughs> yeah, we were talking a little bit about some of the common calls we've gotten right. this year. And first thing was about check engine lights, and the second thing about brakes, brakes. a little bit. And mm-hmm. I guess one of the top calls we always seem to get, and that's about oil changes. And right. there is just so, so, so much confusion fueled by so much misinformation there is. on the market today. And it seems like everybody under the sun has a vested interest in telling people, well, you don't have to change your oil. Just, just keep driving, and, and you can go 20,000 miles on all changes and right. all this kind of baloney. And really and truly, an oil change should never ever be based on the number of miles you drive alone exactly that is not a criteria for changing all what the criteria for changing all is the length of the trips you're making mm-hmm. because if you're driving from say baton rouge to atlanta once a day 500 miles each way you could easily go five six thousand miles on an all change sure. because the engine has reached full temperature it's running under optimum conditions and that oil is is at boiling temperature. It's boiling any moisture out. It's it's everything is ideal under those conditions. That person could easily go six thousand miles between changes. The same exact vehicle, same driver. If he is going or she is going to the grocery store and back, or going to the beauty shop and back, or going to church once a week, the car sits a fair amount. It gets short trips on it, which is the way a lot of folks drive. Sure, you don't realize it, but it is. If you push that car to 6,000 miles under those conditions, you are damaging the vehicle. Well, we're seeing more oil-related problems in the last five or six years than we've ever seen before. Since they started going to these extended oil changes, I mean, the number of engines we change is just, uh, there's probably not a week goes by we don't change one or two engines. At least. And that had gotten to a point back 20 years ago where you almost weren't ever repairing engines. I mean, it got to where you get tired of looking at the car before the engine would ever go bad. Right. You were seeing cars with 250, 300,000 miles very regular. Nowadays, we're getting cars in with 110, 120, 130,000 miles. Rods are knocking. Some less than that. Timing chains have stretched and jumped timing. Sure. More to the point, oil leaks are just based out of control because what's happening by not changing this all all the conditions and stuff and all allowing seals to get hard so things like rear main seals valve cover gaskets timing cover gaskets stuff that you really didn't see a whole lot of in the past you're you're now seeing seeing a lot of just a tremendous amount 
And the thing about an oil leak is it doesn't just leak all out on the ground. No. It leaks all out on the starter or on another component. Alternator. Before long, that component is also gone because of the oil leak. Well, very often the first sign of an oil leak is the car won't start. Mm -hmm. You turn the key and it does nothing. Wow, what's wrong with my car? You bring it in. They the if, starter if, is, the, if the mechanic is sharp, he's going to say, you got valve cover leaking. They're leaking into the starter. That made the starter go out. Mm-hmm. If maybe he's not quite what he ought to be, he's going to say you need a starter. He's going to pop a starter on, and then two months later, you're back buying another starter. Right. Because all is running to the new starter, and it's going to go out. I remember some of the uh, like little Mitsubishi used to have a lot of trouble. The valve cover would leak at the front corner, and would run down and drip right into the alternator. Right. And it would knock the alternator out. And Mitsubishi got to a point where if you brought this thing back under under warranty, first thing they were going to do, they were going to look inside. If there was any oil inside an alternator, you were out. That was it. That was, you were done, huh? Yeah, no warranty on that because it was something you were doing to cause the problem. So, you know, the thing is we're seeing more and more and more and more and more of this. Now, why are so many people telling you you do not have to change your oil? Well, so many people have a vested interest in selling you a new vehicle. Well, that's exactly right. You know, nothing is going to drive a person to a new car as a faster than a major repair. Exactly. For instance, if you get you buy a car, you're pretty happy with it. Right. You running it out seven, eight, ten thousand miles between all changes. This is great. I don't have to change all. Everything's wonderful. You make eighty, ninety thousand miles. You're pretty happy. Sure. Now all of a sudden you got a bad oil leak. Okay. Well, that's going to cost a whole lot. I'm not going to fix it. So you push it. Well, now a starter goes out. Okay, well, now you got a big starter repair. you got a big oil leak repair. You go ahead and say, I'm going to spend the money on this, but you know, I'm not real happy about it. Next thing you know, it starts burning oil or the engine starts knocking. Well, now you need an engine. engine replacement. Oh, my God. Well, you Five, go six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000. Trade it in and get another car. Sure. Because it, this car just cost me too much money. But the point is what caused all this is you did not change the oil <laughs> regular enough. Exactly. You brought all this stuff on yourself. Now, again... The guy who's telling you, yeah, you can go 10,000 miles, he's in the business of selling another car. Of course. Every four or five years, six years, however long it takes to pay this one off. Because right. he, he didn't want to start doubling up on notes because then he knows you can't afford it. But you got to remember, make no bones about it, car companies are in business to make cars. Sure, sell cars. And they are in business to sell cars. And they're not going to sell cars unless something happens to the old cars. That's right. And So you the, know, the point is, if you change that all a little more often, you're going to be a lot more economically happy. Sure. For well, the new end. year. <laughs> and I see we're just about out of time. Start winding it on up. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this week and every week. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and give us a written review on the That's right. That'll move us up in the ranking so more people can listen. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.